And we're live. This is Plant Daddy Podcast. I'm Matthew. And I'm Steven. We're back with our first plant profile of season three. Woo. Today we're talking about Peperomia prostrata aka magic marmor everyone should know what we're talking about string of turtles we're talking about string of turtles today which is actually a fairly new moniker for this plant uh at least from what i've seen but it's very appropriate for it right as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. So string of turtles. What is it? Why is it interesting? So to me, this is a really cute one that I just happen to have not grown yeah. yet. Okay. okay. Uh, this has happened before on this show. I think it's interesting because it's one of the most accessible, widely available plants with this very particular look. It has white veining on small, round leaves with translucent little domes that give it this succulent, turtle-shell-looking, jewel-like effect, I guess. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. Hopefully that works as a description for people who don't know it and a compliment to the plant to those who do know it. That's a great description. (laughs) I love the translucent little domes on the foliage, and this is a great example of epidermal windows. Yeah, like on some other plants you might know, like some Haworthia lithops is kind of a similar sort of dome-ish effect here. Yeah, and because these take some time to develop, I love how my plant has a variety of color and contrast depending on the age of the foliage. The leaves come in very small at first, with highly pronounced contrasting veins, and the color is often deep green to purple, which is really vibrant against the red vines. As the leaves reach full size, which is usually around a centimeter or about a half inch across, they'll fade to green and then gradually lose the super sharp veining as the leaves begin to thicken more. Eventually, they also become slightly more opaque, which makes the oldest, thickest leaves more uniformly green, with a sort of like vibrant, hazy glow to them when the light hits them. They're really jewel-like. Ooh, that's a good description too. Go us. Thanks. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it mats and trails in a really attractive way too. So you see this one in hanging pots very often. 
Um, and it also flowers often. And Matthew isn't the biggest fan of these flowers. But I think they belong in the, you know, why is it interesting section. I mean, they're angiosperms or flowering uh, okay. plants. But at a casual glance, that's like a technicality for most Peperomia. The plants bloom with these short, erect, cream to brownish cord-like spikes that are really not immediately recognizable as flowers, which is really similar to other Peperomia. Mm-hmm. People often see these and wonder why their string of turtles is producing leafless vines that just shoot straight up. Now, if they were pollinated, the fruit are like little round peppercorns along the spike, but I couldn't find a photo to reference for this species. Oh, okay. Um, It's typically grown for its foliage, but could be grown for its peppercorns. I've learned something already. Yeah, don't like grind them up and eat them, though. <laughs> yes, not advised. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what are the ideal growing conditions for this one? So... I think I thought of these as a succulent species for a while after I first encountered them. And I think I was just lumping them in with the other strings, like string of pearls, string of hearts, uh, that I already knew to grow better in classic succulent conditions. Yes, and I thought the same initially, but we're not wrong. These are succulents. But Peperomia are an interesting group Mm -hmm. because even though they are indeed succulent, typically... They don't come from arid conditions most of the time and aren't really adapted for direct sun. So their care is sort of adjacent to the epiphytic jungle cacti that we discussed like way, 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 way back in episode 16. Well, a long time ago. Yeah. Okay, so more of a chunky, airy soil like you might mix up for aeroids then. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a bit surprising, honestly, but I'll remind everyone that we are talking about ideal conditions right now. Again, my surprise is probably a holdover from when I was lumping this in with the other strings of things plants. Yeah, most of those come from much more arid climates, but the string of turtles is actually a rainforest species. So in the wild, they're going to enjoy high humidity and pretty consistent moisture, but they're also a delicate scrambling epiphyte. They have a fairly shallow root system that is going to be pretty used to drying and have a good amount of airflow. They are pretty adaptable to home conditions and container growing, though, uh, even when they don't have those same humidity levels because they can rely on the moisture in their substrate to compensate. But they're still pretty sensitive to overwatering, and the fragile stems are susceptible to rot if they stay too wet. Mm. So use a potting mix with excellent drainage that still retains moisture. It's recommended to add quite a bit of perlite to just, you know, conventional potting soil to ensure healthy roots and stems. Okay, that makes sense. But these are so common in shops and homes that I'm guessing you can get away with a pretty basic potting mix too. But, you know, like in so many of our plant profiles, extra perlite would help, or a custom airy mix probably would too. Right, there's no reason to be super worried about their substrate, just as long as you're being thoughtful about watering. Okay, so how should you approach watering? As I'm adjusting my frame of mind here and now thinking of these as, you know, jungle epiphytes, I'm thinking I wouldn't let it go absolutely dry. I typically use soil mixes for plants like this that have sphagnum moss in them, Mm -hmm. and I use that as like an easy gauge of how moist the substrate is. Like the moss shouldn't be soupy, it shouldn't be crunchy and hard either, but it should be kind of pillowy and like at least contain some water that lets me know that like it's, you know, evenly moist and not soaked. Yeah, especially during the warmer months when your string of turtles is an active growth, use a watering routine that's going to allow the substrate to dry slightly, but avoid reaching a state of bone dryness more than occasionally. They won't mind it from time to time, but it's going to stall growth if they dry too much and too often. 
When the plant is not in active growth, though, it should be grown more on the dry side to avoid rot, and string of turtles can absolutely tolerate drying fully for short periods consistently when the temperatures and light are low. Okay, so when in doubt, don't water? I feel like I'm hearing that. Yeah, I mean, that's true for a lot of plants, and you hear a lot for pepperomi in particular. Mm -hmm. They do have a lot of water stored in them, so they can definitely handle a pretty neglectful watering routine. Okay, and that's a virtue, especially for people like me who fear overwatering. Yeah. Okay, so last but definitely not least, what about light? When I look at these, I figure bright indirect light, but now that it's sinking in that these are from Brazil, is this one that can take full sun at our latitude, actually? Yeah, they could. So they might not actually get any real direct sun in equatorial jungles, but as a temperate houseplant, the ideal light exposure is very bright indirect to partial direct sun. This is going to help encourage strong active growth, which means that the plant is actually using water pretty fast, and that overall reduces the risk of overwatering and rot. I found that they're easiest to care for in the Seattle area towards the higher end of their light tolerance, but you should still avoid direct sun for longer than a few hours in the morning or afternoon or during the hottest part of the day since they are susceptible to leaf burn. Then it's important to make sure that the top of the pot is receiving ideal light because this is where the growth originates. And if the top of the plant doesn't have adequate light, it's going to become scraggly and bare and it's much more susceptible to rot and you're going to see much poorer growth than if you actually like got the whole plant in the light requirements that it wants. Okay, so what have our actual approaches been for this plant, now that we're through the ideal care info? How successful have they been? Um, so now that we've gone through that ideal care info that we hope everyone listening just assume we were always <laughs> doing without fail since forever, yeah. what is your personal experience with this one, Matthew? I have grown this plant a few times and struggled with it at the beginning. I had two fairly long-lived but ultimately miserable plants that just slowly declined after looking increasingly awful. Okay, and was that due to you making the same assumptions that I was making like five minutes ago? <laughs> Did you treat this plant like a string of hearts for a while or something? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Okay. I thought that it was going to basically be the same experience and care and it really didn't help that I put aesthetic over practicality in the pot that I was picking. Hmm. I used a relatively tall narrow glazed clay pot that I thought would look nice with the trailing foliage oh. but I never found a watering routine that worked well because I was using such an aggressively gritty mineral heavy substrate and like I said they're fairly shallow rooting so the top couple inches of that soil were consistently too dry for them. Okay yeah it sounds like the odds were stacked against you with that setup. Yeah. I think a lot of us can relate to the temptation though to go with like a taller pot for trailing plants like this because that look seems so complimentary you know like yeah. spilling out of a tall pot really cascading down um you know when it actually doesn't work fairly often yeah i mean i also wanted the string of turtles to trail since that's a lot of their appeal so i allowed the vines to crawl over the edges of the pot as soon as they reached it mm -hmm. but this meant that it never really produced very much side growth to form a nice mat of foliage and the scant individual vines regularly desiccated after growing several inches and they would require rerouting. Frustrating. A few of them got pretty long, but it was always the same story. Yeah. Ugh, okay. So it also didn't help that I was growing them in the shade of other plants in an east window because I'd read to avoid direct sun. I completely changed my routine though with the plant that I'm currently growing and I'm really happy with it. Okay, well, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> We're going to try something a bit different this time. I've asked Matthew for a picture of his current plant as is for me to see and describe. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so I just got it. 
Um, okay, I'm happy to report he's not lying. It looks healthy to me. It's nicely matted over the top of the pot, mm-hmm. like he described. Lots of flower stalks that he's so fond of. <laughs> wow, you really have a lot of flowers, actually, Matthew. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. They're practically <laughs> microscopic, so I can ignore them easily. <laughs> okay, but there's a lot of really deep green foliage that I think looks great. I it looks like newer, brighter green foliage in the matted part at the top of the pot. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes me think that maybe you've put cuttings in there for bushiness, or maybe it's been in higher light recently because mm. it's summer. Um, it's not trailing everywhere yet, but there are a lot of leaves, um, several little vines. There's no mistaking that this plant is string of turtles. Uh, yeah. Overall, nice. Well done. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. I will let them know that you feel that way. <sighs> mm-hmm. But yeah, now that I've achieved a nice dense mat of foliage with a few <sighs> long trailing pieces, there are quite a few new shoots that are beginning to peep over the ledge. And in a few weeks, I expect there's going to be some real trailing action going on. Mm-hmm. I am glad that you noticed the fresh growth at the top of the plant, though. They're not cuttings, but I'll get to that in a bit. They represent a couple of breakthroughs for me that I think will help others grow a string of turtles, and I'm excited to share them. I I do want to mention, though, that the really good coloring that you're seeing on them has to do with the highlight that I'm growing it in. If it's in lower light, it would be more evenly, consistently green. Oh, okay. Um, All right, so right off the bat like you clearly moved it out of that tall pot Mm -hmm. this one looks like one of those squat terracotta pots that i would use for a succulent i'm trying to keep very dry yeah so i got this new starter plant early this year and it began as a tidy little clump that wasn't even really close to filling its two inch pot i planted it in the center of a four inch terracotta pot that's about as wide as it is tall to allow ample surface area for the plant to scramble and root into the medium okay and the shallow depth allows for much more consistent moisture levels throughout the whole of the mix and also more even drying because the increased surface area and porous clay help that. It actually sits in a glass bowl that I just fill with water as the surface dries. This is one of the few plants that I prefer to bottom water as the moisture just wicks up to the surface without me regularly wetting the sensitive stems. Okay, interesting. Uh, I'm not sure if that's something we've ever discussed, actually, bottom watering. No, and we'll get to that in another episode in the future. Yeah. I only top water when it's actually fully dry at the surface, and even then, it's just enough water to flood the surface quickly and then soak in while it's also being bottled and watered okay and i won't leave out my signature question we heard the (laughs) ideal soil guidance earlier but what was your exact soil recipe here (laughs) well i can't even see the substrate anymore so i'm guessing based on memory for the specifics but essentially i'm just using an aeroid mix with a lot of perlite pumice sphagnum some horticultural charcoal mixed into just general all-purpose potting soil so that it would retain more water, but also remain airy and light. Okay, so lots of perlite and pumice. Um, Okay, if I were to pot one up, I think I would go for something Monstera-like, where it's like half of our aeroid mix with equal parts sphagnum, orchid bark, perlite, charcoal, if you have it handy, and the other 50% is potting soil. How would that sound to you? Mm, That's really close, and your heart is in the right place. Okay, okay. But because the Monstera is such a massive plant in a very large pot... The mix is much more coarse. String of Turtles is very, very delicate, and it's growing in a much smaller container. So while the ratio of like mixins to potting soil is about the same, the actual size of the particulate that I've added to the mix is scaled down significantly so that none of the components are much larger than a half inch or so. Most of them are smaller than that. Okay. It's so much more fine-graded than what I would use for a Monstera or a large aeroid, and it's similar to what I'd use for like a Pothos or a Hartley Phil. 
philodendron. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> See, I get the answer when I twist your arm a bit. Thanks. <laughs> well, you just asked the right question this time. <laughs> okay, you're right. Next time, I'll say the words exact soil recipe. Um, <laughs> okay, so... Light-wise, which window is it in now? Uh, I'm guessing something not north. It's actually not in a window, but I have significantly increased the light level this time around. Whoa. It sits a few inches under a full-spectrum bulb in a vintage lamp in my living room, and this, in combination with the improved substrate, potting approach, and watering routine, has encouraged far more substantial growth than I ever saw on my ill-fated earlier plants. If it wasn't a window, though... I would use an unobstructed east one, maybe a slightly shaded west, or a north window if it gets, like, you know, abundant light bounced off of nearby buildings or something. Okay. Um, all right. So any other experiences, or are we ready for the next section? Well, I guess it's time for my favorite string of turtles life hack. Oh. Rather than allowing it to begin trailing immediately, I took an approach that I've liked with my string of pearls. Both of these plants grow basically just like in a straight line, so they're going to reach the edge of the pot fairly quickly and begin to trail. Mm -hmm. However, I've begun to redirect this growth and coil the vines across the top of the substrate as much as possible to encourage them to continue rooting in and form a dense mat of foliage across the whole surface of the pot. Mm -hmm. This maximizes the healthy roots that the plant has to support itself, and it allows it to produce abundant new side shoots that create a full lush plant. Eventually, like the string of pearls, it'll reach a point where there are just so many shoots growing that they have nowhere else to go but over the edges of the pot. And by then, I just allow them to do their thing. Okay, um, I'm looking at the picture you sent again. I can kind of see that now that you're calling it out. Uh, all right, yeah. Yeah, some of that new growth that you saw is both new shoots growing and also redirected growth. Okay, um, yeah, so many strategies to achieve these full bushy plants that I'm not aware of. Um, though I'm not sure I would do that thinking about it now, like, would I just want to grow a single long vine falling out of the side of a really cool pot? I don't know that I could. Uh, I can't answer that right now. Um, so continue. <laughs> okay. So by now, several months after starting this plant, it's reached the point where I have several long trailing vines and many that are very close behind that. By the end of the summer, I'm excited to see what this plant looks like. Yeah. It's off to so much better start than it would have been if I'd not managed the growth this way. So while I've not had to yet, I will prune this plant strategically as needed by cutting out the longest individual vines as best as I can untangle them from time to time and as close to the substrate as possible to reduce the overall length and encourage multiple new shoots to grow in their place and increase the overall bushiness of the trailing vines so that I can maintain and improve mm -hmm. that thick curtain of turtles that makes this plant so appealing. I don't think it really has the same charm yeah. if it's like really scant, meager trailing bits. And yeah, I mean, I just was kind of thinking out loud earlier. I do think I would want kind of like a more bushy one here, which, you know, again, I'm, I'm a new person this season, I guess. Mm. <laughs> okay, what about propagation? I wouldn't expect there to be any trick here. I see this at plant swaps. It's vining. It's a peperomia. So, I mean, it just seems like you could start from a cutting, right? Yeah, absolutely. Propagation is fairly simple for all peperomia that I'm aware of, but you should take stem cuttings as opposed to leaf cuttings like you do with African violets or the peperomia that have a similar rosette form and produce baby plants mm -hmm. from the petioles. 
I've seen people root string of turtle vines in water, and I'm sure that's a reliable method, but I'd probably just nestle them directly onto damp substrate, perhaps in a closed container to help, you know, keep the humidity and the moisture level consistent while they're establishing. They should root in fairly quickly and begin to produce new side shoots if you keep them in a warm, bright location, but keep them on the barely moist side because you don't want them to rot. Hmm. Then, just to get your string of turtle baby off to a good start, I would recommend potting multiple cuttings together to get a nice full plant quickly. There is so little appeal to a single rooted vine trailing on its own over a pot. So if you follow my pruning approach of trimming a couple long vines periodically from your mother plant, these can be divided into several shorter lengths with a few leaves each, and the cuttings that don't have a terminal endpoint are likely to produce multiple side shoots as they establish, which will help you get that nice plant in the quickest time possible. Okay, and not to revisit a past trauma here, but you <laughs> said you had trouble figuring out the watering in the past, so will string of turtles give the grower clear signs of over or underwatering to help guide, you know, anyone who might be new to this plant? Yeah. But slightly inconveniently, signs of over and underwatering are fairly similar. Okay, I was afraid of that. Yeah. At their worst, both will lead to the roots dying, either from rot or desiccation. Overwatering will cause the stems themselves to rot as well, while underwatering can just cause them to begin to dry up, and this will travel from the base of the plant towards the newer growth. So it can be pretty hard to tell early on if this is happening, especially on a full plant. Also, Overwatering is going to cause a much more rapid decline than underwatering. However, in both cases, this is a pretty fleshy plant, so you're often left with healthy-looking vines that aren't connected to any healthy roots, but they can just be salvaged and then propagated as cuttings. If you're watering woes or mild... Sorry, I said like Moira. <laughs> watering woes. Okay. <laughs> But if you're watering woes are mild enough that you've so far avoided catastrophic root death, early signs of problems are seen in the foliage. An underwatered plant will lose the plumpness of their leaves, and sometimes they'll begin to show much more pronounced color due to stress. Okay. They'll also drop their oldest foliage, they'll grow more slowly and weakly, mm -hmm. and an overwatered plant will still have plump leaves, but they're going to drop those as well, or begin to show kind of scabby bumps. This is pretty typical of other peperomia too. Okay. Keep an eye out for these signs, because you want to correct your watering game quickly to avoid them worsening hmm. and like i said before bottom watering is often recommended to help maintain ideal soil moisture without allowing the roots and creeping stems to have too much direct contact with water which can cause them to rot even if you're not watering them too frequently but exclusively from the top hmm. and i'd worry the most about this for plants that are grown in cooler or less bright spots right because i mean your water game is going to be you know more complicated typically in those situations for most plants yeah as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, so sounds like you enjoy growing this one. Um, would we recommend it? And to what sort of plant parent? Oh, absolutely. And especially now that I've gotten a plant to develop like the goal aesthetic this plant is prized for, Mm -hmm. it is just so damn cute. It's like aggressively so. And even though it did take me some time to figure out the best way to encourage it to thrive and grow into the specimen I wanted, that's very in line with the other strings of things. Yes, (laughs) we've heard these sagas before. Every time. (laughs) Okay, so what type of plant parent is it for? I mean, to me, this is one that might not be for absolute beginners as like their very first plant, but probably for anyone else with an interest in it, right? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I would not be surprised if people could just be successful with this as their very first plant provided that they have some strong intuition or the stars align correctly for them. But it's not much more challenging than most of the other common popular plants, and it's very well suited for the average home environment. Mm -hmm. Now, kind of in a different thought than we've explored, though, I would heartily recommend this species to people looking for a tidy, compact trailing or ground-covering plant for a terrarium, because its scale is perfectly suited for small enclosures, and it would thrive with almost no attention paid to it in a barely moist, humid environment. I would keep it on the drier side Mm. in this kind of condition, though, and it'll be totally happy. Okay. And of course... I would recommend it just as a conventional houseplant for somebody who likes other trailing succulents or people who like delicate, ornate foliage. Yeah, and you know, like I said, when I think about this plant, I think it has a very unique look within the commonly available, like moderately inexpensive plants we see out there. Yeah, I would say that it's closest in appearance to the string of hearts. Uh, It's still kind of a stretch. This one's more green. It's more compact. The size is overall much smaller. And it's like cherubically cute. Yeah. And like, there we go again with the comparisons to the other strings of things. Like (laughs) it's built right into the name. It's kind of misleading. Visually not misleading, but like from a care perspective, misleading. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We are really analyzing this one to death. Uh, (laughs) Hashtag season three of Plant Daddy Podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Now, the way that the string of turtles are potted and sold, though, I feel like they are set up to throw right off the bat when you bring them home, which is completely unlike the String of Hearts and String of Pearls, which we discussed in episodes 30 and 45, respectively, which I have universally found to die rapidly unless you get them into a very coarse, gritty, fast-draining, and minimally water-retaining mix to prevent rot. Yeah, yeah. So, String of Turtles is certainly easier at the beginning, but if you're expecting yards and yards of succulent vines, like, we can fairly easily achieve on the more arid climate String of Hearts, String of Pearls... Eh, you might want to mediate your expectations a bit. The string of turtles does not seem to be able to grow nearly as long as a house plant, and I expect that this is purely just because typical indoor humidity isn't sufficient to allow them to reach great lengths so far from their roots. This is kind of just speculation and like informed, you know, guesswork, Mm -hmm. but I've never seen a photo of one of these in a home where they're trailing quite to the same level that we see on string of hearts, and the limit appears to be like, two feet or less from what i can tell okay which is still a lot 
Yeah, it's just I have my string of hearts hitting the floor from time to time. Okay. Uh, this plant won't do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Stephen, you have a string of turtles alternative that probably won't occur to like almost anybody. <laughs> Aww. Yeah, you know, you <laughs> so know I Steven. actually do take that as a compliment. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I mentioned this on the show before, but I don't think recently. Actually, I think that we mentioned this as a similar looking plants to the string of hearts back in episode 30. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's ancient now. <laughs> so I picked up an orchid several years ago called Trica salpinks camilla panthes, probably before I really knew about string of turtles even. And it has very similar veined circular leaves with translucent little domes when it's well hydrated, which it really isn't right now. Um, <laughs> and a similar trailing vining growth habit that kind of gives it that spilling out of the pot look that reminds me of string of turtles. I guess I didn't realize that that one had the transparent doming. Yeah, uh, but instead of the white veining, it has brown veining. So, okay. you know, it like works and still reminds me of just like different turtles, I guess. Hmm. But uh, yeah, and not amazingly showy flowers, but nicer ones than string of turtles, which I guess is not like super difficult, <laughs> you know, not like this orchid has ever bloomed for me, but theoretically. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it also grows really well in terrariums. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of kind of coincidental similarities like that. Mm -hmm. um, we can link to it in our show notes. It's it's more of a mention to me than an outright like recommended alternative here. Yeah. Just because it's very uncommon. I've only seen it for sale that time I bought it actually. But I mean, it's been so easy for me to propagate. Uh, so I don't think it's like, you know, the difficulty of propagation that's driving the scarcity there. Yeah, it's just an esoteric, weird little orchid. There is no shortage of those. Right. Yeah, so probably just lack of interest, like many other plants I grow. But uh, <laughs> hey, it's not hard to grow if you happen to find one. So yeah, I totally agree. I feel like it might be like the most visually similar plant that I know of to the string of turtles just off the top of my head right now. Mm -hmm. It's you know, perhaps a little bit more sparse, and it blooms with visible to the eye structures that are immediately recognizable as flowers. So that's a plus. Yeah. Okay, string of turtles. I wanted to ask an important question now that would have really shown us how much you really like this plant. Would you replace it if this plant died? <laughs> but at this point, I feel like we already know the answer. Like, okay, would you get a fourth plant if something happened, Matthew? I mean, this is my third, so... Yeah, you already know the answer. I think it's worth replacing if things go poorly. Okay, I think that says good things. I don't know if I'm going to need to replace this one, though, unless something really goes wrong. It's living its best life right now. Okay, knock on wood, as always. Yeah. <laughs> okay, any final thoughts for plant parents interested in giving this one a try? This plant is immediately cute. Yeah. You don't have to grow it up to see the appeal. You do have to grow it up a bit to see the trailing. It can take some patience and thoughtful management of its early growth in order to establish well enough to be a strong grower long term and offer the aesthetic goal that we see online, but it's precious from the very beginning. Okay, yeah. And, you know, it sounds like a good call out after what we've covered today. Like, you won't have an overflowing, you know, dream plant in just a few weeks, but it's going to be cute anyway. Mm -hmm. As far as availability goes, uh, I think... This is one you can find almost at all times around here in Seattle, at least. Like, maybe not like a plant at every single shop, but some shop in the area will typically have it. I saw one for sale last week, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's not like super common from what I've seen in our area, but I've seen it often enough that I think that you can get it in person if you just keep an eye out for it. It's also commonly found online in various sizes, but I would spring for a rooted plant instead of cuttings just to get a better head start. The pricing of plants that I've seen, both online and in person, has varied quite a bit, though. Sometimes it's available at 
I would say, fair low price points, similar to assorted foliage and hanging plants at box stores. And other times, it's priced more like a trendy status plant, which seems to be kind of like this rapid on-off cycle from what I've noticed. Mm. You can get them in 2-inch pots, you can get them in 6-inch hanging baskets. Ultimately, this is not a plant that's worth like your top dollar. So my advice is that unless you have cash to burn and you really want one right now, just wait for a reasonable deal. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Um, some of that may have to do with size, I think. So maybe just read the fine print, I guess. Uh, a quick search online right now shows plants from $13 to 50 for a six inch like potted mature plant. So, yeah. Okay. Um, Matthew, do you have any historical, botanical, culturally interesting string of turtles tidbits for us? Yes. I think that one of my favorite things about the Peperomia genus is just how it fits into plant taxonomy. Okay. And you're like pausing for a response from me here. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Again, this is great. I support you. You know, you know, it's like when parents take their kids to a swimming pool, they're watching yeah. them, of course. Watch me. Watch me. Yeah. They're also reading a magazine. Okay. They're still watching. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So Peperomia is a large and diverse genus with about 1,500 species. The ones that have been classics in the houseplant trade for decades collectively share the somewhat old-fashioned common name irradiator plants. Mm -hmm. Most of these are small, compact epiphytes, and they may be rosette-forming, shrubby, or vining, and they have varying degrees of succulence, and they often have interesting leaf textures, patterns, and colors. Peperomia are native to the tropics and subtropics of Central and South America, with a handful of about 17 species in Africa. Huh. And for some reason, I can't really explain. I always find it interesting when a genus has this sort of like dense distribution, one part of the world with some other random population of just a few species an ocean away. Yeah, I kind of feel that too. I mean, this makes me think about like Pangea or, you know, errant birds crossing oceans with like seeds on their feet or you know, <laughs> crazy stuff like that sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So they're in the Piperaceae family, or Pepper family, which is not to be confused with the Solanaceae, or Nightshade family, which is where we find chili peppers and eggplants and tomatoes and stuff. Piperaceae is made up of five genera, but nearly all of the Piperaceae species are within the subfamily of Piperoideae, which is made up of the genera Peperomia and Piper. Which is where we find Piper nigrum, the black pepper of culinary fame. Okay. There are also several attractively patterned ornamental vining plants that are somewhat popular in the houseplant trade, like Piper ornatum. Though I saw one reference online that said that this genus is not of great horticultural merit. Okay, so just for the record, Piperaceae, Pepper, Peperomia, Piper, Piperoideae, right? Yeah, tons of P noises all over the place here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just let that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with about 3,500 species represented in those two genera, there are 10 or so other Piperaceae species distributed between the three remaining genera in two different subfamilies. And, you know, Stephen, those random little plants might be ones that we want to look into just because they're so random mm -hmm. within the context of this family that's otherwise famous entirely for a huge group of houseplants and culinary spices. Okay. Um, okay, and you just called them this, but when we were doing research for this one, you mentioned that peperomia were called radiator plants because they can thrive near radiators and homes historically. Mm -hmm. This was interesting to me. I, like, I had no idea these plants were unusually tolerant of warmth. 
And it's also interesting to me because the room you record in is often in the 90s Fahrenheit. And so, like, do you keep it in that room? Are they doing well? Like, should I be buying Peperomia for that desk you're sitting at right now? Oh, I'd never say no to, like, some new plants from you. But... Uh, yeah, silly uh, question. Yeah, my string of turtles is actually in my living room, which doesn't get nearly that hot. But this summer, it's usually been at least 80 degrees Fahrenheit, and it seems to enjoy that quite a lot. I do have a few other Peperomia, though, and some of them are in this room with me now. These plants like fairly warm conditions, and it makes them well-suited for many indoor spaces, but you should protect them from excessive heat that causes too rapid drying, and just make sure that you're keeping them above like 50 Fahrenheit, 10 Celsius, in order to keep them happy and growing well. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think it would be really cute to set a pebble tray on top of a radiator, and then just like populate that with a little collection of various radiator plants so that you could have a cheeky little nod to their historical origins as houseplants that is such a you kind of display okay <laughs> and like nobody would get it <laughs> don't yeah don't try it at home i see like two of them melted like if you forgot about them for a couple hours okay yeah maybe not i don't know well and the last thing that i want to note peperomia are widely considered to just be non-toxic and safe for homes with inquisitive pets and children okay that's kind of a good thing to know yeah there's a lot of different varieties of them and they are great okay anything else no i think that's it all right this has been plant daddy podcast thanks for listening don't forget to like and subscribe tell your friends about us if you enjoy what you've heard today please give us a five-star rating that'll help others find us too if you want to get in touch email us at plant daddy podcast at gmail or check us out on social media just search plant daddy podcast until next week, thanks for listening. And happy growing. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.